Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 31 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Risco, fantasy analyst, fantasylawguy.com, at fantasylawguy on Instagram. Today's show, week two matchups. Hakeem dropped the ball! Oh, Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talk about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Playoffs? <laughs> I just hope we can win a game. It's my quarterback. What the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep a trick the ball down the field, boys. I saw, son. I saw. Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. In today's show, I'm going to be previewing all week two matchups from a fantasy football perspective. It's a full slate tomorrow, 14 games. So we have a ton of player analysis to get to today. So let's get right into it. Week two fantasy football matchups. We will start with the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Atlanta Falcons at home. This game possesses the highest over-under Vegas total. So they are expecting a high-scoring game, which means you will want to be leaning toward players in this game as a tiebreaker of sorts when making matchup decisions. And you're starting your Falcons in this game, right? Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, all were studs last week. And the Dallas defense did not look very good against the Rams. And they lost middle linebacker Leighton Van Der Esch in that game as well. He's going to be out for this game. The Dallas defense just could not stop the Rams running game, which is, which is promising for Todd Gurley, who the Falcons opened up using heavily in week one before the game got away from them very quickly. And I'm not high on Gurley for the season, as you know, but he did look good in week one, and I do like him in this matchup. He should be in starting lineups. Russell Gage, slot receiver, kind of an enigma here, kind of a borderline start, I would say, in 12, 14-team formats. He posted 100 yards on nine catches, 12 targets. I'm good with him in PPR formats. Maybe a wide receiver four, I would say. Maybe a flex if you're really... You know, feeling frisky with Russell Gage there. He did finish the season strongly, but I'm attributing last week's great stat line mainly to game flow. And he's going to have some good games because of his chemistry with Matt Ryan. But that's something that tight end Hayden Hurst does not have yet. It's something I do think Hurst will develop as the season progresses. However, ultimately, I think the average Russell Gage game will be more along the lines of four or five catches for 50, 60 yards. And that's not bad in PPR. You can use that. Over time, I think Hurst will cut into Gage's production, but Gage is worth a speculative ad in 12-team formats, and he's worth a start in a pinch. Again, this game is a game where you want to be playing players in. I'm just not ready to be using him in my lineups really comfortably yet in Week 2. So Adam, and we'll kind of see. That's kind of my stance there with Russell Gage. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, they could both finish the season as top 12 wide receivers. I predicted they would before the season, and week one only served to really verify that opinion. So stick with them. Something else I predicted was that Matt Ryan would be leading the NFL in passing yards this season and be the only 5,000-yard passer this year. And after throwing for 450 yards in week one, I feel pretty good about that call as well, although, of course, it is only one week. 
Hayden Hurst, I see him as more of a tight end too. I'm not ready to cut him yet because the upside is definitely there. He's athletic. He's a good quarterback. Plenty of garbage time, possible shootouts coming with this team as we saw in week one. I'm personally starting guys like TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, Johnny Smith over Hayden Hurst. But I definitely think it's worth trotting him out there for one more week, maybe even two. And we'll just kind of see if Matt Ryan can start looking to him more. He did make a very athletic diving catch last week, kind of showing off his ability. For Dallas, look, I mean, this is definitely an underwhelming game that they had in week one. Dallas just didn't show up to play. And that was pretty surprising to me. I thought they were going, I thought that game was going to be a very high scoring game. I had that wrong. They had pass protection issues without right tackle Lyle Collins. And I'm not wavering or panicking yet, but I might be if left tackle Tyrone Smith misses this game. He's he's questionable. Uh, Cowboys beat writer Marcus Moser says he's actually very questionable for this game, leaning towards doubtful. And he makes a big deal with Dak Prescott. Remember the game? two or three years ago where they didn't have Tyron Smith. It was actually against Atlanta when Adrian Claiborne had like five sacks and the Falcons had like eight sacks in that game overall. I don't think the Falcons are capable of doing that here. But if he's missing Lyle Collins and he's missing Tyron Smith, we saw how that can limit the Dallas offense last week with Tyron Smith playing. That would be trouble here. And Dallas opened up as a favorite in this game by seven, I think it was. And that's already down to uh, minus 3.5 or three and a half, I should say. So a lot of sharp people, a lot of public betting Atlanta in this game. I would as well, to be honest, whether Smith plays or not. I think this game is more of a toss-up, even though Dallas is at home. If Tyrone Smith can go, I'm expecting a pretty big bounce-back day offensively. Again, this is at home. The Falcons' defense got lit up by Russ Wilson and company. Wilson completed 31 of 35 passes last week, and he actually had one long pass dropped. By DK Metcalf, four touchdowns, 350 yards Wilson had. I think I'd start Dak Prescott over every quarterback not named Lamar Jackson this week if Tyron Smith plays. If Tyron Smith doesn't play, I would notch him down a few notches. And I would still likely be starting him because this Atlanta defense is sorry. But I'm just hoping that Dallas kind of washes the tape and comes out pass heavy if they can. I'm also hoping that Tyron Smith plays. If he does not play... I think that this game will revolve around Ezekiel Elliott. And Ezekiel Elliott looked fresh in week one. He played great. You have to like his chances of getting 100 rushing yards and or a touchdown, whether Smith plays or not. And I'm trying to fit every Cowboys wide receiver into my lineups if I can. Cooper is a top 10 play and was Dak's go-to guy last week. He had 14 targets last week, 10 receptions. And a lot of that was with Jalen Ramsey in coverage. Michael Gallup had a slow game. But the refs failed to call that, or excuse me, they did call offensive pass interference on what I thought was kind of a 50-50 call late in the game. So Michael Gallup would have a deep ball, a 40-yard pass or a catch added to his box score and maybe wouldn't be talking about a slow game there. I don't think Michael Gallup is going to outproduce or match his per-game averages from last year. I think he's more of a wide receiver three and a flex than a surefire wide receiver two like he was last year. But I do like him as more of a wide receiver, too, this week, especially if Tyrone Smith plays. I feel the same about CeeDee Lamb, actually, who I actually think is pretty underrated in the fantasy football community. I thought his game was more impressive in week one than the box score indicated. He was very impressive in the first half before kind of being phased out. He's a high-quality flex option this week in what could potentially be a high-scoring game. But I do want to say I really do believe that a lot rides on whether 
Tyron Smith plays. He's obviously one of the best left tackles in the league, but I just think Dallas is going to be stretched very, very thin on the offensive line if both tackles are missing. Okay, moving on to the Jacksonville Jaguars are facing the Tennessee Titans. Both teams are 1-0, and this game projects to be a low-scoring game, according to Vegas, second lowest projected point total by Vegas, and the Jaguars ran only 47 plays last week. It was the NFL's lowest snap count in week one. But Gardner Minshew, very, very highly efficient game, completed 19 of 20 passes in his first game under pass-oriented play caller Jay Gruden, who kind of has a history, or he's kind of made his living on making bad real-life quarterbacks look good for fantasy football, dating back to the Kirk Cousins days, dating back to the Andy Dalton days. I view Minshew as a quarterback, too, in fantasy football. He's a nice backup to have in 12-team leagues. I would prefer not to be starting him on a weekly basis in one quarterback leagues, but I'm very happy if I drafted him in super flex leagues. I think that he will come back down to earth a little in this game, but with his tendency to scramble and with Jay Gruden as his coordinator, I think he has a nice rushing floor. And I think that the Jaguars trailing in most games will give him somewhat of a passing floor as well. Still, I'm not sold on him in one quarterback leagues to be starting yet. DJ Chark, Only three targets in week one. He did make the most of them, but I'm expecting more tomorrow. The Titans secondary really wasn't tested much because Denver was missing Cortland Sutton and KJ Hamler, their number one and number three receivers. And cornerback Adoree Jackson is out for this game. He's their best corner. So I like DJ Chark this week to have more usage there, but I'm a little concerned that it looks like Jacksonville in week one wanted to spread the ball around to guys like LaVisca Chenault and even Keelan Cole. But I'm hoping that the lack of volume, the 47 plays, only 20 passing attempts last week, I'm hoping that was the reason that Chark wasn't used more. Chenault is more of a desperation play in deeper league formats. I think he's worth a speculative ad in 14-team leagues. I'm not quite there yet in 12-team formats, but keep in mind that this guy was a borderline first-round talent for the NFL draft in a loaded receiver class. He fell to round two because of, I think it was a knee concern of some kind of medical red flag, and the Jaguars scooped him up. So his time will come at some point during this season, I would imagine. I don't know if I want to bite just yet by starting LaVisca Chanel, but he is worth a speculative ad in most leagues. James Robinson was the bell cow back for the Jaguars last season. He got all 19 of the Jaguars running back carries. I think he was the only running back to do that in week one to get 100% of the running back carries. And this guy's an undrafted free agent. So that speaks highly of how the Jaguars view Robinson. I think the Jaguars will use James Robinson as a bell cow back this week as well. The Titans are nine-point favorites. And we didn't see Robinson do much in the receiving game. He may be dependent on positive game script, which is not expected here. So I'm not ready to call him an RB2 yet. I'm okay with using him in the flex. He's definitely absolutely a hold in 12-team formats. He should absolutely be rostered. I think he could get up to 75 yards in this game. I just don't want to be using him this week. The jury is still out on whether he is going to play a role in the passing game or whether he is a game flow dependent running back. And again, the Titans are favored by nine here. Uh, I'm just kind of on the borderline of whether I'd start him in the flex. If he's your best option, then go for it. If not, then I'm okay with waiting a week. Definitely worth a hold though. I mentioned in my waiver wire show on Tuesday that I loved Ryan Tannehill as a streamable quarterback one this week. A.J. Brown is out for this game with a bone bruise. He's going to miss this week for sure, which I kind of figured was coming because the Jaguars are... 
not the best opponent. I think the Titans feel like they can get by, get this win without A.J. Brown. The question is, is he going to miss next week as well? That's against Minnesota. This could be a multi-week injury. Despite that, I'm still okay with using Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback one. I would actually play Tannehill over guys like Big Ben, maybe even Drew Brees, Cam Newton, even Deshaun Watson. I would honestly be considering that. I think Watson is pretty close there, but but definitely over Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Not over Tom Brady, who I'll get to in a second. But yeah, I have Tannehill as my quarterback 10 this week. And that was actually before AJ Brown's industry that I ranked uh, injury that I ranked him there. Now I'd probably have him about quarterback 11 or 12, not moving him down that much. Aside from the two interceptions, Philip Rivers did carve up this Jacksonville defense last week. And I think teams this year are really going to sell out to stop Derrick Henry, especially Jacksonville with their embarrassing history against Derrick Henry. Everyone kind of makes fun of the Jags for that team that. Gave up the 99-yard touchdown run, the 200-yard game, to Derrick Henry. And I think they will use all the limited personnel they have to make sure that that does not happen again. I'm still projecting 100 and a touch for Derrick Henry. But I do think teams devoting more resources this year to stop Henry, like Denver did, will help out Ryan Tannehill in this passing game. Tannehill has been a top 10 quarterback in the fantasy points per game since he took over in Tennessee as the starter in week seven last season. So I think the lack of volume is a little overblown. And there's a scenario where he only gets like 15 passing attempts in this game and maybe one or two touchdowns. And the Titans just ride Henry with ease because the Jaguars look like a pretty bad defensive team or a bad team in general. But I'm just not overthinking this here. I want to start quarterbacks facing the Jacksonville Jaguars. AJ Brown's out. But Corey Davis should definitely be rostered in 12-team leagues for sure. And I'm okay with starting in here, honestly. I'm, I added him for cheap in a league or two, and I listed him as a deep sleeper in my draft guide as well. So I'm happy to see his Week 1 performance. I think A.J. Brown being out provides an uptick for Johnny Smith as well. Johnny Smith, my tight end 12 on the week. He was also my number one sleeper tight end this year. So it's a good start for him. I would probably start T.J. Hawkinson and Evan Ingram, guys like him, over Jonu Smith, but maybe Jonu Smith ahead of like Noah Fant, Hayden Hurst, and, and Tyler Higby and, and Goddard. So yeah, I'm okay with using Corey Davis and Jonu Smith in this game. And I also am okay, or I don't want to say okay, but if you're looking for a very deep sleeper, you just need somebody who's going to get you some points in PPR format, Adam Humphreys, slot receiver, going to be taking over A.J. Brown's or I shouldn't say take over A.J. Brown's role, but he will get more usage with A.J. Brown out here. He'll be the Titans' number two receiver in this game. Adam Humphreys had a decent game in week one. He could put up 10, 12, maybe even 14 PPR points this week. All right, moving on to the Minnesota Vikings at Indianapolis Colts. I have no idea what to expect from this game in terms of who I expect to win. Vegas actually has the Colts favored by three I think this is more of a toss-up game, so I'd probably lean Minnesota on this side, but I'm not betting this game either way because I really just don't know what to expect. It should be pretty offensive, uh, seeing as the defenses last week both played very poorly. The Vikings were just decimated last week by Green Bay in time of possession. They barely had the ball, so even though Dalvin Cook salvaged his day with two short touchdowns and actually two two two-point conversions, he should get back to his usual 20-plus touches for 100-plus scrimmage yards in this one. Very comfortable using Dalvin Cook. Alexander Madison, an obvious handcuff and stash, even if you don't roster Dalvin Cook. Even in a soft matchup 
versus Indianapolis, Kirk Cousins is tough to play because he's got really got nothing behind Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook in this receiving game. Adam Thielen, obviously a must-start weekly, such a baller when he is healthy. The Colts are favored in this game despite blowing their lead to the lowly Jaguars last week. They somehow managed to lose to Jacksonville despite the Colts not punting one time in that game. No punts, still lost. Two turnovers and drop passes did not help their cause, but this is a great spot for all Colts. Again, I think this should be a pretty high-scoring game. T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell should be in starting lineups. Campbell in the flex, I view T.Y. Hilton as a great wide receiver two option this week. I think Hilton is going to have a big rebound game against a hapless Viking secondary that is just working out the kinks after replacing all three of their starting cornerbacks this offseason. The Vikings are also without stud defensive end Daniel Hunter, And that really hurt them against Aaron Rodgers. They really put no pressure on Rodgers. He had all day to throw. So Phillip Rivers, probably not a quarterback one this week, but definitely streamable here. I prefer Tannehill, I think. But I think Rivers versus Big Ben or Rivers versus Goff or Drew Brees or Carson Wentz is pretty close. And you're definitely starting Jonathan Taylor every week. It may appear like a running back by committee with Naeem Hines. He will catch passes. And I'm actually okay with using Hines here in the flex or maybe even RB2 in a PPR league pinch. But Taylor will eventually be the workhorse and is a surefire RB1 now in large part due to Marlon Mack getting hurt. And also because Phillip Rivers is going to continue pepper, peppering his running backs with targets like I always say. And with his playing style and shoddy arm strength, I think will lead to even more conservative passes to the running backs and the Colts sport a top three offensive line and obviously because Taylor of course is really good and I mentioned in my last episode uh, I had someone ask me on a listener question how I would draft in fantasy football in round one what would my round one look like if you want to go check out that episode my answer to that is early in the episode and I mentioned that Jonathan Taylor would be my 10th overall selection if I was redrafting today knowing what we know now so 10th overall, I, th- I think he is a top 10 value or valuable asset in fantasy football. So you are starting him every week regardless. All right, next game is Denver at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is favored by seven in this game, favored by a touchdown. And this feels just like a low-scoring 20-13 to 13 kind of game. Hey, well, he had seven points right there. But Denver travels on a short week. And they may be without Cortland Sutton again. And I'm not using Sutton until we see him healthy and produce. I kind of hope that he plays just to see if he is healthy in this game. And I'm not going to start him either way because it is against Pittsburgh. There's no reason to be risking with a hamstring injury and in a tough matchup. And if you followed my draft guide, you didn't draft Cortland Sutton uh, anywhere anyway. But without Sutton, I have a hard time getting behind Drew Locke against this suffocating Steelers defense. Though I don't think Jerry Judy, who saw eight targets, and Noah Fant, who dominated the first half of week one, are terrible plays if Sutton is out because we could see them get the fourth volume without Cortland Sutton and if the Steelers erase the Broncos' run game like they did with Saquon Barkley last week in the Giants. So I'm not terrified of starting Noah Fant. I'm not terrified of starting Judge Judy in the flex or the wide receiver spot. But the ceilings and floors are obviously lowered for them in this brutal matchup. Melvin Gordon is probably best avoided in this matchup as well. Though if you likely drafted Melvin Gordon, you probably don't have that luxury. Philip Lindsay's absence could make 12 PPR points possible for Melvin Gordon. I think he's a I'll play him if I have to kind of start this week. I wouldn't be starting a clear-cut backup running back or anything over him because the volume means something, but I probably would start like a Ronald Jones or a Mark Ingram or a Zach Moss 
or maybe even a J.K. Dobbins over Melvin Gordon, but I wouldn't stoop much lower than that. I was mainly on Big Ben last week because of his opponent, the Giants. Roethlisberger started off rusty as expected from a long layaway from his elbow surgery, not playing football, but then he cleaned it up against Big Blue's barely there defense. Denver has lost a lot of key players. Von Miller, cornerback Chris Harris, defensive end Derek Wolf, inside linebacker Todd Davis, and top cornerback A.J. Boye. He is out for this game, but... This is still a Vic, Vic Fangio-led unit that will play real hard. I don't love Big Ben in this game. I do love. I do like his receivers, though, which feels weird, I know. I think Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson, who I view closer together than Week 1 box scores indicate, will have nice individual matchups without Boyd there. But overall, this should be a pretty low-scoring game. So my recommendation is to start Juju, start Deontay, and sit Big Ben. It doesn't make the most sense, but that's just how I feel, honestly. The Denver run defense... Did a great job containing Derrick Henry last week. And the Steelers are missing right guard David DeCastro along with left guard Steven Wisniewski and right tackle Zach Banner in this game. This offensive line is decimated with injuries, which is very bad news for James Conner and Benny Snell. I retweeted a great thought the other day by John Proctor of FantasyPoints.com. He said that James Conner seems like he's in a damned if you do, damned if you don't spot. If he rushes back Sunday from his ankle injury and plays poorly, Snell will take over the starting job. And if James Conner takes his time recovering back to full strength and maybe misses this game, Snell could take over that way as well. So it's a tough situation for Conner and for drafters who picked him, which I unfortunately advise you to do. I drafted Conner in like half my leagues, and I don't think I'm using him in any, and this is despite him having not been reported on the injury report. It looks like he's a full go. I just wouldn't be surprised if Benny Snell is named the starter like on Sunday morning, or I wouldn't be surprised at all if they work in tandem. The matchup is also not very good. My guess this week is that Connor plays and is not very productive, but I also don't think Benny Snell will be that much better. The key here is will Connor be getting receptions? Will he be getting goal lines? Because even if he conceded a few early down carries, from this point forward to Benny Snell because of Snell's great game last week, Connor can still hold a lot of value if he's going to be the primary receiving back and if he's going to get goal line carries and what looks like a pretty good Steelers offense. So it's tough to judge this year. I'm probably not using Connor in my leagues this week unless I have to. Uh, I hope, if anything, we just get some clarity out of this backfield this week. Okay, moving on to Carolina and Tampa Bay. I do like this game from a fantasy perspective. I like the Bucs a lot in this game. I'm all in on Tampa Bay this week. I think it could be a blowout, to be honest. Tampa Bay is furious. I know Tom Brady is, and I think that they will show up. And overall, I just think that they are a way more talented team than Carolina. Tampa was the only team that shut down or at least held back Christian McCaffrey last season in their meetings. You're starting Christian McCaffrey and expecting 100 total yards and hopefully a touchdown. But I'm not using Teddy Bridgewater in this game, who is a little more aggressive in week one than we have seen in years past, but not enough to be supporting top 12 receivers. My draft guide advised avoiding DJ Moore, but if I did draft him, I'm probably starting him in this game despite the tough matchup because game flow will be favorable to him, and Moore had nine targets in week one. Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel also had eight targets apiece, which is good. Both should be rostered in 12-teamers because they are big parts of this offense, clearly. But they're probably best left on benches this week until we get more clarity from this offense. Again, this is a pretty tough matchup. If Anderson has another big game, even in the next two weeks, I'll be more comfortable starting him. 
For Tampa Bay, I see Tom Brady as a top seven quarterback play this week. I'm starting him where I have him. I don't actually have him on a team, but I'd like to in this matchup. Tom Brady was quarterback nine last week as a finish, and he played pretty poorly. And that was against a great Saints defense. So despite me being really down on Brady in the draft guide and the ugly performance in week one, I actually view him more favorably after week one. And this is, you want to be starting your quarterbacks against the Carolina Panthers. He's a buy low if he underwhelms in this one as well, in my opinion. But I think he has 250 yards and three scores in him versus Carolina, even without Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin, questionable for this game. He's, I think he's going to be a game-time decision whether he passes the concussion protocol. He did not practice on Wednesday or Thursday, but he did get a limited practice in on Friday. So I, I would say he's a true game-time decision. It's worth noting that they did upgrade, upgrade his injury status on Friday, similar to the way they did with Mike Evans last week, and Evans ended up playing I think Chris Godwin is an obvious start if he plays, and if not, obviously you're not starting him. So Bruce Arians regretted not using Mike Evans more around the formation and not getting Mike Evans 10-plus targets. He alluded to the fact that he limited Evans' downfield routes because of his hamstring he was questionable with going into the game, and he made it out of the game healthy, Mike Evans did, and I think the squeaky wheel will probably get the grease this week of starting Evans with confidence despite any lingering hamstring issues. He was not listed on the injury report for this game. I also think Chris Godwin's going to have a huge game if he plays. So feeling very good about Tom Brady and his two starting receivers. If Godwin doesn't play, I'm absolutely adding Scotty Miller in 12-team leagues. In fact, I'm probably adding him anyway in 12-team leagues, whether he plays or not, to see what he has there. I would make sure that he's not on the waiver wire in 12-team leagues. They displayed great chemistry in week one, Brady and Miller did, and he's a big play threat. I think he'll produce... If Godwin is out, and I'm more than okay with starting him in a PPR league as a wide receiver three or at the flex if Chris Godwin is out. And if Godwin is also out, OJ Howard gets a boost in stock as well. You can start him if you have no better option at tight end. Maybe if you lost George Kittle this week, he's out as well. Uh, I, I said before week one that I'd rather OJ Howard than Rob Gronkowski on my team. So I'm standing by that. Howard looked good in week one. And Brady, unlike Jameis Winston, has shown a liking to tight ends throughout his career. Rob Gronkowski, in my opinion, looked pretty washed in week one. I'm okay with cutting him in 12-team leagues. But if you want to hold on for this cupcake matchup, then I totally understand. Moving on to the New York Giants at Chicago Bears. This on paper looks like it's going to be a low-scoring game as well. The Giants' defense is really terrible, however. Putting Mitch Trubisky on the streaming map, and I did not think I'd be saying that in Week 2 or Week 1 last season when he was also on the map because Detroit's defense was missing their starting cornerback and is also pretty bad. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, obviously not for the faint of heart, but he makes sense in Superflex leagues this week. This is a strong opportunity for Allen Robinson to have a big bounce-back game after making his displeasure in his contract negotiations public this week. I think he's going to have a nice game here. Anthony Miller only played 42% of the snaps last week, but he looked very good when he was actually on the field. I'm not okay with that snap count. He does need more usage, but I am okay with him as a wide receiver three or a flex in this matchup just because the Giants just suck on defense. I'm just not advocating him more than anything as a flex because of the low snap count. I want to see him be a full-time player this week. That's something I'll definitely be looking out for. For David Montgomery, he was efficient in week one, which is rare for David Montgomery. And that's promising because he was questionable in that game with a growing strain that he sustained only a few weeks ago. 
And Montgomery played only 45% of the snaps and saw 13 touches. But a part of that was due to probably a limited workload coming off the injury. And another part was due to the Bears playing catch-up throughout the second half in this game. Tariq Cohen and Cordell Patterson are definitely annoyances, and they're going to get used in the passing game mostly. But with the Bears favored by five in this game and against this piss-poor defense that Benny Snell ripped through for 100 yards, I'm I'm about starting Montgomery this week. I think that if you're ever going to start David Montgomery, it probably should be this week. And I think that he's a good play, obviously better for non-PPR leagues, but I think he's a solid RB2 this week thanks to this matchup. Jimmy Graham worth an ad as a backup tight end in 12 teamers, definitely in 14 team leagues. I think a higher percentage of people will be playing him this week because he and like Logan Thomas were typically the best two tight ends available in free agency uh, for guys who need to replace somebody like George Kittle who is out. I'm okay with using Jimmy Graham in a pinch. The Bears do seem to like using him in the red zone, although I think he's a total touchdown or bust option. For the Giants, Daniel Jones gets another tough matchup this week. He opened with Pittsburgh. Now he gets the Bears. I'm still holding him in 12-team leagues. I mentioned in podcasts before the season that his opening schedule is brutal, but it really softens up after like week, I think it's week four or week five. Yeah, we'll say week five against the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm holding him as a backup quarterback, but I think the upside is there with a promising supporting cast, great supporting cast, really, of pass catchers. And Daniel Jones looked promising enough against a Steelers defense that may be the best in the league last week, but I'm not starting him this week unless it's in a super flex league. Saquon Barkley has a softer matchup than it looks on paper. The Bears lost run-plugging nose tackle Eddie Goldman. He opted out of this season, and the Lions were able to run the ball effectively last week against the Bears. Adrian Peterson was, at least, against the Bears' front And I like the way that Saquon Barkley was used in the passing game last week. I think that is a reason for optimism despite the slow game. I I feel like I'm saying that I'm expecting a rebound game for a lot of players, but that's just the ebb and flow of the NFL. And I think a lot of fantasy studs just had some tough matchups in week one. We saw it with the Browns and Biggles in week two where they both played tough opponents in week one, and then they just kind of lit it up in week two. So we can expect some changes in week two. We don't want to be overreacting to week one limited Obviously, extremely limited sample size there. And again, the ebb and flow of the NFL is very, very real. Darius Slayton was the leading receiver for the Giants. And speaking of ebb and flow, I'm not totally buying this yet for Darius Slayton. I think he's a talented player. And I think there's something to be said with his chemistry with Daniel Jones. They're both rookies last season. However, I think he's more of a wide receiver three or a flex option. I don't love him this week. I'm okay with him. I think Sterling Shepard will actually have the better game than Slayton this week, although I did say that in week one as well. But I'm not strong enough to really be starting either of these wide receivers if given the choice, honestly. Evan Ingram, same thing. He cannot possibly get any worse than last week. He had a drop. He had two catches on seven targets. It was a very, very ugly game for Evan Ingram. I think the Giants will make it a point to get him the ball in his hands this week. I think we should be good with Evan Ingram for five to six catches for maybe 60 yards. Not great, but good for 10 or more PPR points for Evan Ingram. Again, he's like my tight end 10 this week. All right, next game is the Detroit Lions at the Green Bay Packers. This is definitely a game that has a lot of fantasy implications here. The Lions passing game, not as explosive without Kenny Galladay, and Kenny Galladay is out again. Until he returns, Stafford is a middling quarterback play, borderline quarterback one. Matt Stafford actually peppered slot receivers last week. Quintez, Cephas, or Cephas, I'm not exactly sure how to say that, so I apologize for that if you do know. And Danny Amendola, they combined for 17 targets last week. 
TJ Hawkinson only saw five, but I am starting Hawk at least until Kenny Galladay returns to full strength in this matchup. I feel the same about Marvin Jones in the flex. Cephas and Amendola can be desperation deep plays in PPR leagues only. They are sleepers there, especially if like you're in a 14-team format or a big league like that or maybe a multi-flex league where you start two or three flexes. They will get usage. Despite Adrian Peterson's strong game, I'm not starting him this week. And that's because I'm not starting any Lions running back this week. I think this is a full-blown three-way running back by committee. This is Patricia's Matt Patricia's M.O. I will say that Adrian Peterson was awesome this week. And I will say that the only way the Lions win this game is through running the ball with Adrian Peterson because defensive tackle Kenny Clark, who's a total stud, he is out for Green Bay in this game. But I'm still not quite comfortable using the Lions backfield here. We saw last week that it can really be a cluster there. On the Packers side of this game, it's pretty easy. Aaron Rodgers, you want to have him in your starting lineup this week. I think he's a top seven play this week, and not just because of recency bias, but just because it's mainly because of a great matchup. We saw Mitch Trubisky torch Detroit in the fourth quarter after they lost cornerback Desmond Trufant and Justin Coleman. Now That's their number two and three corners, and they'll be without both of those guys in this game as well. They do get their cornerback one, Jeff Okuda, their rookie First-round pick, number three overall. He will make his debut in this game, but it still sets up as a good situation for Aaron Rodgers. I think it also sets up well for Aaron Jones as a guy who could score twice in this game. He's a top-five running back play, in my opinion, this week. And let's make it a trifecta for Devontae Adams at wide receiver. This is obviously a smash spot for him against the Detroit Lions as well. Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, the topic of many waiver wire questions because a lot of them were available in waiver wire situations in 12-team leagues. Either one could find the end zone in week two. I'm not even going to guess who it will be. Lazard is more of a uh, possession receiver, very valuable for his run blocking. He'll play more snaps than MVS will, but MVS is a bigger deep play threat, and Rodgers just obviously has a great deep ball still. So MVS is more of a boomer bust play. Alan Lazard is more of a five-catch 50 yards and maybe a touchdown play. MVS is more of like a two catches for 19 yards or five catches for 100 yards and a score. You know, you don't really know what you're getting there. So I'm not going to guess who it is. I think both of them are good enough to be added in 12-team formats. And if you want to just play either of them in the, in the I was going to say the slot, like it's a real football team, but in the flex this week, then I will not dispute that. The San Francisco 49ers at the New York Jets. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is worth playing in super flex leagues, but I think he's a much tougher sell in single quarterback leagues as a streamer. I know it is the Jets, so the inclination, the urge will be there to play Jimmy G, but he was just so terrible in week one. And George Kittle is out. Debo Samuel is out. I think we can do better, but I think he should throw for you know maybe two touchdowns in this game, but probably a low yardage total. The Jets have a surprisingly good run defense. But I think we have to have Raheem Mostert in starting the lineups. The Niners should have positive game script in this game. And Mostert was used more in the receiving game last week than we saw pretty much of all of last season, honestly, where he was barely used there. Jarrett McKinnon flashed in limited snaps last week after not playing football for the last two years. That's good. He's a stash in 12-team leagues, but nothing more. I expect Tevin Coleman to play some more this week. He didn't play much in San Francisco because of air problems related to the wildfires, and he has a sickle cell trait. But 
He's why I'm not okay with using Jarek McKinnon in starting lineups. For the passing game, the 49ers signed Mohamed Sanu off the street this week. He is familiar with this offense. Brandon Ayuk is making his debut as well. Their floors are too low to consider starting here. Ayuk should definitely be rostered in 12-team leagues. However, uh, tight end Jordan Reed, possible sleeper tight end option if you have George Kittle and you want to pivot to just his backup there. Jordan Reed, obviously very talented pass-catching tight end. Chris Herndon, Jonu Smith, Mike Jasicki, Logan Thomas are other guys that you can start in place of George Kittle, who is obviously out, and that, of course, is very depressing. But Jasicki, Smith, Logan Thomas, Herndon are not available in a lot of leagues. Jordan Reed likely is, so maybe he'll be there for you to go make that move. Frank Gore will be the starting running back for the New York Jets with Le'Veon Bell on short-term IR. This is a revenge game against his former team here, but we can't really consider using Frank Gore. Gore should be added in 14-teamers, not 12s. Jameson Crowder is out, unfortunately, after pulling up limp on that long touchdown that he had. He had a hamstring tweak, and then he messed it up again in practice. Oh, I should say he aggravated it in practice. This is obviously bad news as he is the only Jets legitimate pass catcher. I think that this should send some targets Chris Herndon's way. So I'd feel okay with starting Chris Herndon if you have like George Kittle on your team and he is out. I think he should be good for five catches, 50 yards as Sam Donald's de facto number one option. And no other Jets are really startable in this game. So let's move on. Los Angeles Rams at Philadelphia Eagles. Jared Goff is a middling quarterback start. Carson Wentz is as well. But Jared Goff against an Eagles defense that actually played well in week one and finally has some solid cornerback play after years and years of lacking it. Darius Slay there, Nikhil Roby Coleman at nickel corner there. Jared Goff has historically played much better at home, and this is a road game. And the Eagles' pass rush could make things difficult for a quarterback who does fold under pressure. I think he'll have a decent game because the Eagles kind of had a pass funnel defense because our run defense is so good and golf did play well in week one but he got robbed in the touchdown department with two goal line rushing touchdowns by malcolm brown i'm not betting on brown to double up this week on his week one performance again the eagles run defense is stout brown may get goal line carries but this is more of a running back by committee than met the eye in week one in my opinion I think that he's a flex play at best. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes from 110 and two touchdowns, or excuse me, 110 yards and two touchdowns to 60 yards and zero or one touchdown. Robert Woods, clearly the best Rams receiver in week one. He's an every week start, but he does have the worst matchup in week two against Darius Slay. So this looks like it might be a Cooper Cup game. You're starting both probably either way. I like Tyler Higby's chances of a rebound game. I know what you're thinking, that I just cannot quit Tyler Higby. That might be true, but the Eagles linebackers and safeties are real weak. Higby should have a good game. We saw Logan Thomas have a pretty good game against these Eagles linebackers last week, but I understand if you don't feel comfortable using Tyler Higby. Just don't give up on him and cut him just yet. Carson Wentz was missing three out of five offensive line starters in week one. But he also did not help matters by holding on to the ball way too long, making bad decisions and being inaccurate altogether. Play calling was also pretty shoddy too, as the Eagles were constantly calling up deep shots despite Washington's front seven dominating the Eagles' makeshift offensive line. Wentz took eight sacks and a whopping 15 quarterback hits in this game. And he gets Miles Sanders back, which could be good for some dump-offs there. And he gets Lane Johnson right tackle back, and that will be huge. Wentz's splits playing without Lane Johnson have been quite ugly throughout his career. 
And he just makes such a big difference in this offense. He's probably the best right tackle in football. If not the best, he's definitely top three. Wentz is a middling quarterback play. I like him a little more than Jared Goff in this game. Miles Sanders definitely worth starting, though he carries some risk coming back from the hamstring injury. It's possible he has a better day receiving than he does rushing. Deshaun Jackson got the opportunity in week one. He didn't play full-time snaps. The Eagles played about 70 snaps in this game. He played closer to 40 snaps in week one, which is not ideal, but he was targeted on several deep shots and served at the Eagles' number one receiver, so the opportunity was there despite the limited snap count. He's a boomer bust play every single week, and he faces off with shutdown corner Jalen Ramsey, but it only takes really one play for Deshaun Jackson. Jalen Rager caught a 50-yard pass, 55-yard pass in week one, and he'll get more usage as the season progresses and as he gets healthier from the shoulder issue. He was questionable going into week one. He's also a boomer bust play, but I'd rather just be patient with Rager. Big games are ahead for him for sure. Washington put the clamps down on Zach Ertz and forced defensive coverage toward him, freeing up Dallas Goddard last week. Ertz is in the middle of a contract dispute, but hopefully he has a good game here. You're starting him if you have him. Goddard is more of a borderline tight end one. I wouldn't be surprised if the scripts are flipped in terms of their production in week Two, if they're not, and Goddard has another game, then we have to start considering Goddard as an every week top 10 tight end. Moving on to Buffalo versus Miami. And this looks like another easy matchup for Josh Allen, who's totally smashed in week one. And the Bills showed an encouraging game plan in that game and an offensive approach in general. They played a lot of plays. They played very fast. They played in a way that was perfect for Josh Allen's skill set. Allen looked like a much better throwing quarterback in the game, and the Dolphins lost their opening matchup because they could not stop Cam Newton on the ground. Like That is why they lost the game. Josh Allen presents a similar problem here. So I expect Miami to actually use the film of them failing to contain Newton to correct the issues, and I think they're going to do a, I predict they're going to do a good job limiting Josh Allen's rushing stats, but there's give and take here because Allen can beat you with Stephon Diggs and John Brown. Ultimately, I think the Bills are more likely to establish the run with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss in this game, whereas New York actually had a shockingly good run defense last season, and they played their kind of a pass-funnel defense. All this is to say is that I'm starting Allen. I think he's a top-five option this week, maybe top seven behind Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan. I'm not really sure, but I'm expecting more like 20 to 22 points rather than like 30-plus like he had Last week, I think he'll have a good game this week. But if you're expecting the blow-up game like he had against the Jets, I, I just don't think we're going to get it here despite the way the matchup looks on paper. The Dolphins do have good outside cornerbacks, but they just weren't really tested against New England. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, great outside cornerbacks, I should say. I'm comfortable using Stephon Diggs and John Brown as wide receiver threes or in the flex. I view them as pretty equally. But I would lean towards Diggs despite Browns being the better week one showing because I think Diggs is more likely to move a little bit into the slot even though they have Cole Beasley there. And I think Diggs is overall just the better receiver than John Brown, although they are both underrated talents. As for the running game, I think it will be better this week. Devin Singletary outsnapped Zach Moss 51-39 to last week, but the touches were 12-14. to and Moss had three or four touches inside the 10-yard line where Singletary had none. So this backfield, it went exactly as I expected going into week one. At least in week one, it did. It was like a 60-40 or 50-50 timeshare with Moss and Singletary. But with Moss and not Singletary getting the ball in scoring position, that makes me rather start 
Zach Moss and rather have Zach Moss on my teams. Both could have usable games as flex option, but I would prefer to start probably Stephon Diggs over both of them. Ryan Fitzpatrick stunk up the joint in week one, 191 passing yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. Fitz magic may be no more. The Dolphins have one of the worst offensive lines in the league, and the Bills defense should make life difficult. I'm not using Devontae Parker because of his hamstring woes. We have to see him play a full game and produce in order for me to trust him. If he starts, his outlook is diminished further by the fact that he's going to be likely drawing shutdown cornerback Tredavious White in coverage. If he does not play, it's a boost for uh, Preston Williams in theory, but again, then he would get the tough matchup against Trey White. So either way, I'm probably not using Dolphins wide receivers in this game. So I'm out on the Dolphins right now, but I am giving Mike Jasicki another week or two preferably on my bench because this is a tough matchup. He had to open up with the Patriots and Bills back-to-back, so that's just not a friendly start for my Jasicki's sleeper campaign. But the snaps were there, and where he lined up, that was all good in Week 1. That was all conducive to future success for fantasy. He was playing the big slot role in Chan Gailey's offense. That's where he wanted him to be. Buffalo is a tough matchup, so I'd rather hold Jasicki on my bench than start him. But it is worth noting that the Bills will be without starting linebackers, Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Lamont. Matt Milano, who's good in coverage, they're both out for this game. So that could actually help Jasicki's stock. I wouldn't be surprised if Jasicki is a good game. I think he's risky, but I'm okay with playing if you have like a George Kittle and he's your backup tight end. I, I'm, you know, that's totally fine. I think Miles Gaskin is worth an ad. He's the running back for the Dolphins, so make sure he's not. Make sure that he is rostered in 12-team leagues and not on uh, not on the waiver wire, but he, he definitely should be remaining on benches until there's more clarity in this backfield. But if I'm taking any shot on any Dolphins running back, it is Miles Gaskin. All right, let's move on to the afternoon slate. That is the Washington football team is traveling to Arizona to face the Cardinals. Kyler Murray, auto start. The Washington football team has a fearsome front seven, but their secondary is very weak. It feels like an upset if Kyler Murray doesn't have at least two touchdowns each week, and I think that he will. His floor is very high with his rushing, and DeAndre Hopkins raises his passing floor. Murray flooded D-Hop with all the passes he could handle. It's a match made in heaven there, one that I shouldn't have faded. But yeah, start DeAndre Hopkins against this lack of cornerback situation with confidence the Washington football team is missing their their best in starting corner or I should say their best corner Kendall Fuller in this game he is on short-term IR Christian Kirk he had 38 percent of the team air yard share despite only five targets and that's because his targets came on deep throws He's a boomer bust wide receiver four. I'm actually starting him in one deep league that I have where it's a triple flex. I'm starting him this week. Despite the goose egg last week, I'm giving him a another shot to redeem himself after the goose egg. I think he's probably worth a hold in 12-team formats for now. I'd rather be holding him at least than Larry Fitzgerald, who I'm not going to be using or not really rostering in 12-team formats, even though Larry Fitz had a couple of catches last week, unlike Christian Kirk. Kenyon Drake... Pretty good, but not great week one. Another tough matchup here. I'm expecting similar production to week one before Arizona's schedule really opens up in weeks three and four. In weeks three and four, they get to face the Detroit Lions and the Carolina Panthers. So Chase Edmonds, make sure he's rostered, but I'm not starting Chase Edmonds. He's not in starting lineups. One of the most valuable fantasy handcuffs or insurance policies in the game Chase Edmonds is. He played 36% of the snaps in week one. He caught a touchdown and he would blow up if something happened to Kenyon Drake. And I would say likewise, you know, sometimes we always say, oh, well, this handcuff could 
handcuff would really be a league winner if the starter went down. Sometimes it's the opposite is true. What if Chase Edmonds went down? Then Kenyon Drake would be a league winner. So the point is that this backfield is just very valuable. Washington side of this, Scary Terry gets another tough cornerback draw here, this time against Patrick Peterson's shadow coverage. I see McLaurin as an every-week wide receiver, too, whose ceiling is kind of capped by Dwayne Haskins, but his, but his floor is pretty steady thanks to him being the focal point of the passing game. According to Evan Silva at ETR, only Jared Cook posted a larger air yard share than Logan Thomas at tight end in week one. 32% of the air yards for Logan Thomas, eight targets for Thomas, and Thomas is worth a start. If you are streaming George Kittle in leagues, I know I am, and I know I have. I end up picking up Thomas in a couple of leagues. Make sure he's not on your waiver wire if you're in a 12-team format. The matchup sets up well for him as the Washington football team will have to keep pace with Kyler Murray, and McLaurin will be dealing with Patrick Peterson. Thomas is a good athlete, and I think he quietly is a top 12 or borderline top 12 play this week. Hopefully week one was not a fluke. Okay, moving on to... The Kansas City Chiefs, they are traveling to Los Angeles to face the Los Angeles Chargers. And the Chargers are really the only opponent that Pat Mahomes struggled against last season. And it was in two meetings. And we saw how great the Chargers defense looked against Joe Burrow. And compare that to Cleveland on Thursday night football. Joe Burrow looked pretty great against Cleveland. So we can imagine how good the Chargers defense must be, even though it was Burrow's first start. And But that's even without... Derwin James, like their best player or one of their best players on defense. And on the other hand, we can compare how Cleveland's offense ran right through the Bengals when the Chargers could barely muster up 16 points against them in a low-scoring, ugly game. So what does that say about the Chargers' offense? It says that we should be streaming the Chiefs' defense in this game. This feels like a 26-16 to kind of win for the Chiefs, if you ask me. The Chargers' schedule is as followed. Kansas City... Carolina, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, New York Jets, and Miami. Why is that relevant? Because I don't think they'll pull the plug on Tarod Taylor after this game because they'll likely be 1-1, one and one, and then the Chargers get a winnable game in Carolina. But I'm guessing Tampa Bay after that and New Orleans after that will not be friendly to Rod Taylor, and I am betting that Justin Herbert will be named the starter against the Jets in Week 6. And he takes over in Week 6 right in time to give him two very soft matchups against the Jets and the Dolphins to boost the rookie's confidence. I just wanted to put that prediction on the record here. I think Austin Eckler should be in starting lineups because he's a squeaky wheel gets the grease candidate after Anthony Lynn vowed to get him more touches. And hopefully that comes by way of receptions. Week 1 did not look very promising, however. I liked Week 1 from Mike Williams. And I think that he's a sleeper in this game where the Chargers should be trailing and game flow is in his favor, and the Chiefs are missing two of their top three cornerbacks in this game. In theory, this works for Keenan Allen as well, and it even works for Hunter Henry, but the reality is that all of them will not hit. Probably only one or two of them will, and I can't predict which one or two it will be. So all of them are startable, including Mike Williams is like a sleeper wide receiver three. In fact, I think I like him the most out of the trio from a value perspective. I definitely think he should not be on waiver wires in 12-team formats. And I've seen him as a free agent in some leagues. But to be clear, I'd probably view Keenan Allen just a little bit ahead of Williams, even though Williams is more volatile and could have bigger plays. But judging by Keenan Allen's talent, my opinion is that it's going to be tough for him to have. I just have a tough time seeing him have two very bad games in a row. 
So I'm going to bet on Keenan for this game if I'm choosing between the two. Patrick Mahomes should be good for two or more scores in this game. But my expectations are tempered a little. Again, he struggled against the Chargers last year. And the Chargers do have a good defense on paper. This feels like a Travis Kelsey week with Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins dealing with the Chargers' stingy secondary. I'm not using Watkins despite his opening game success. Hill's in every week start regardless of opponent because it only takes one play. And the Fresh Prince, obviously, Clyde Edwards-Elaire in every week start. I do think the Chargers are going to do a much better job than Houston at stopping the run and the Chiefs in general. But that's not saying much, right? But it makes me really interested to see if the Chiefs use Clyde Edwards-Elaire more in the receiving game than they did in the opener. So moving on to Baltimore at Houston. This is another cupcake matchup for the Ravens after wrecking Cleveland last week. This week, they get a mouthwatering matchup against Houston, and it is a great play for Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. It's a little less appetizing for Marquise Hollywood-Brown, who does have to face Bradley Roby's coverage. Roby did a great job limiting Tyreek Hill, a better wide receiver than, uh, than Marquise Brown, with similar strengths in Week 1. I'm still starting Marquise Brown because I do every week, but it wouldn't surprise me if he could just gets 70 yards as opposed to like 100-plus. There are just so many other ways to attack this Houston defense than just go after their best cornerback in Bradley Roby. But again, you have to start Marquise Brown because you just never know. He could pop at any point here. The defense in general, is burnable. And it should be smooth sailing from Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins in the running game last week. It was not for Mark Ingram. J.K. Dobbins surprisingly received the goal line work. Offensive coordinator Greg Roman has said that the running back rotation will change every week based on opponent. And this is consistent with what he said this offseason, but I think he said that because I think they're going to give Mark Ingram more of a chance in Week 2 to thrive. In Week 1, J.K. Dobbins looked like the better back, but again, I think they will use Mark Ingram and get him more involved in Week 2. So I'm okay with using Ingram over Dobbins, and I'm okay with using Ingram and the flex given the matchup. But this is another tough spot for Deshaun Watson. So brutal for the Texans to open up with the Chiefs and then the Ravens. And they have the Steelers next. It's like the NFL really wanted the Texans to fail. I think Watson is a solid start, but not great. I prefer Tom Brady. I prefer Aaron Rodgers and maybe even Ryan Tannehill over Deshaun Watson. I'm not completely fading him simply because it's the Ravens. Game flow should be more favorable. And we know Watson can produce win trailing. But I also wouldn't be surprised if the Texans just show up for this game after getting mildly embarrassed on opening night. Will Fuller has a tough matchup, but we're still starting him until he proves us otherwise. His volume and his role as the Texans' primary receiving target is secure. We can safely expect most of his chances, however, to come in the second half if Houston is trailing. The Ravens have a really good trio. I would even say they have four good cornerbacks on their team. It's really weird. Uh, how stacked they are at the cornerback position. So this is a very tough matchup for Will Fuller. Don't be surprised if he just has like 40, 50 receiving yards. But we have to start him either way, just like Marquise Brown, because he could have a long touchdown in any given game. Again, it only takes one play with these type of players. And again, his volume is secure. I am not considering Randall Cobb or Brandon Cooks in this game. And we'll see if Cooks is healthier this week. David Johnson looked healthy last week, but this is the Ravens. And Duke Johnson's ankle sprain could create more touches for David Johnson. Duke Johnson's questionable for this game. So I have a tough time benching David Johnson outright, especially in PPR formats. But he's more of a middling RB2 in this game. I think I'd rather use Todd Gurley and Raheem Mostert, maybe even Ronald Jones against Carolina, uh, than David Johnson. 
All right, moving on to Sunday night football. Two games remaining. New England Patriots at Seattle Seahawks. The Patriots are going to try to play keep away here with a run-first offense featuring a bunch of read options from Cam Newton. That's what they did against Miami. They'll definitely try to do that against Seattle, seeing as their offense is so good, and they're going to want to keep Russell Wilson's uh, Mr. Unlimited off the field. I think Seattle's defense will actually be up to the task, however, unlike Miami's, and I think this will be a pretty low-scoring battle. I'm not starting any Patriots player except maybe Cam Newton if he's my best quarterback option, and maybe Julian Edelman in the flex. This running back by committee, too muddy. I think Nikhil Harry, however, is worth a stash, but not a start in 12-team leagues. Edelman, I think he's a solid play, not great. And that's probably how I feel about Julian Edelman every single week, regardless of the matchup. New England shut down. The Dolphins running game last week, I'm not feeling too confident using Chris Carson here. It's good that Chris Carson is used more in the passing game. I think Chris Carson versus David Johnson is a very, very challenging toss-up of a start-sit question. Expectations similarly need to be lowered for Russ Wilson, Tyler Lockett, and DK Metcalf. I'm starting Lockett over Metcalf this week if I have both because it seems like Stephon Gilmore is more likely to cover DK Metcalf. And with the way Lockett moves into the slot, I think Lockett is the better play here. I'm also okay with sitting Metcalf if you're absolutely loaded at receiver. Otherwise, he should probably be active, just with lowered expectations, of course. This is the new, still the New England Patriots defense. It's difficult to sit Russ Wilson this week, but I think Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers, maybe even Matt Ryan, they pose questions. I mean, I think that's a fair argument to be made for starting them over Russ Wilson. We don't know for sure if the Seahawks are just going to let Russ Wilson cook in every game, and it seems like they kind of backtracked on that philosophy after week one. it kind of, They kind of implied when they talked about it, Pete Carroll and the offensive coordinator, they kind of applied that it was more game-specific to uh, matching up with the Falcons. So we will see there. They might try to establish the run with Chris Carson. I'm not really sure, but I expect this game to be uh, much lower scoring than most would expect on paper when they see like New England against Seattle. So moving on to the last game of the week. This is Monday Night Football. The Saints travel to Vegas to christen the new $5 billion stadium, and they will do so without stud wide receiver Michael Thomas. Thomas has not been ruled out at the time of this of me recording this podcast on Saturday afternoon, but you do have to take him out of your lineups anyway because on Monday Night Football, you will not be able to pivot to alternatives if they rule him out after the game start on Sunday or if they rule him out right near kickoff, which I expect them to do. My personal opinion about this is that the Saints are just saying that Michael Thomas might play, so the Raiders focus on him during film session. I think that the I think Sean Payton wants the Raiders coaching staff to think that Michael Thomas has played, but I really just do not think he's going to play in this game. Even if he does, you can't be starting him because we don't know how healthy he is. We know he's going to be limited with the high ankle sprain. This is an injury that usually requires people to miss multiple weeks. So even if he does start, I'd feel uncomfortable using him. He's probably just going to be a decoy. And we just can't take that risk anyway because he's on Monday Night Football. And the only way you can take the risk is if you have an alternative who's playing on Monday night because they might rule him out at game time. So if you have Traquan Smith, maybe if you have Emmanuel Sanders ready to go, maybe you can pick up a receiver like Brian Edwards. Yeah, then maybe you can take the chance Michael Thomas plays. I still think that's very, very risky to do. And I would just play, I would just pretend like Michael Thomas wasn't on your team and just play the best player available other than Michael Thomas. That's my approach. But if you really want to see if Michael Thomas plays and you're okay with those other pivots, then go ahead. It is your team. Thomas' absence definitely hurts Drew Brees. 
who should be used below the likes of Tom Brady, Tannehill, maybe even Rivers or Cam Newton for this week. Despite the appealing matchup on paper, I think the Saints are going to try to win this game with their running game and short area passing. And we kind of saw that short area passing for the large part of last week's game. I think they're going to try to do the same thing here. I think we'll also see a heavy dose of Taysom Hill. You know Sean Payton loves to use Taysom Hill on national TV. This is a nationally televised game on Monday Night Football. And without Michael Thomas, Taysom Hill might have more of a role, be it at wide receiver, tight end, or at quarterback. We don't really even know because he is just a Swiss Army knife. The Michael Thomas injury definitely helps Jared Cook, however. I view Jared Cook as a surefire top six tight end play right now. I actually had him as a top six tight end before the season in my draft guide. So I guess now he's more like a tight end four. Like who would you rather than Jared Cook at tight end on your teams other than Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, who won't even play this week, or Mark Andrews? So yeah, I guess I I can't come up with an answer with that. So I guess Jared Cook is a top four tight end. You are starting him. And I will remind you that he had tight end, he was playing at tight end two pace in points per game from week 10 onward last season. And that was with target hog Michael Thomas. So imagine without him. Also, this is a revenge game for Jared Cook as well. He was a former Raider. So I just love, love, love Jared Cook in this matchup. Emmanuel Sanders and Traquan Smith will also have to step up in Michael Thomas's absence. Sanders scored in week one, but really wasn't a factor otherwise. Smith got only one target. But the team is very high on Traquan Smith. This offseason, Drew Brees mentioned that he was expecting a huge breakout season from Traquan Smith. I don't think that I'm playing either of them this week, though you can make a case for Sanders in the flex or wide receiver three. I think Cook and Kamara will be the de facto number one receivers out of this passing game. I'm starting Kamara with confidence despite the weird game that he had last week. It is worth noting that this is also a revenge game for Latavius Murray. And I'm okay with using him as a flex option in non-PPR leagues, I think the Saints could try to get Latavius Murray a score in this game against his former team. The Saints are kind of petty like that to where they don't mind sticking it to an X, especially if they have leads. Even if Kamara and Murray split the groundwork evenly, Kamara's usage in the red zone and receiver make him an RB1 every week. This is a tough spot, very, very tough spot for Josh Jacobs, who goes from Carolina's non-existent defense the most running back friendly defense in the NFL to the Saints, a team who is one of the most imposing defenses for running backs in all of the league and in all of fantasy football. The Saints have not given up an 100-yard rusher in 40 or more games. I don't have the exact number on that, but I know it's at least 40 games, and I think it's like 44 or 45 games that they have not given up a 100-yard rusher. If the Raiders can keep it close, I wouldn't be totally shocked if Jacobs breaks that streak, but that may be the Jacobs bias in me talking. Last year, you could have made the case to sit Jacobs in this matchup because he was one-dimensional last year, and he was often game-scripted out in the second half when the Raiders were trailing. But after seeing six targets and catching four passes in Week 1, career highs, the Raiders seem somewhat serious about increasing Jacobs' use in the passing game, although it's worth noting that Devontae Booker saw significant snaps as a receiver as well. I'm interested to see what's going to happen if the Saints do get a lead and they're in hurry-up mode. Last week, Jacobs was used as a pass catcher, but they had a lead pretty much all game the Raiders did. So we will see how much Jacobs is used in the passing game in this game. We'll get more clarity there. But you are starting Darren Waller 
until he proves that you can't trust him. He paced the team in targets and catches last week, though it wasn't a great game in a nice matchup. The Saints gave up a touchdown to tight end O.J. Howard last week. New Orleans has strong outside cornerbacks, Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins, but I think we saw enough of Henry Ruggs to trot him out in a flex spot if he were healthy, but he did miss Thursday's practice and Friday's practice. So that is very concerning. The Raiders did manufacture some touches for him last week. So normally I would say that he's a go as a flex option in this game, but we just can't really take the risk, kind of like Michael Thomas. If he's questionable for this game or a game time call, we really can't take that risk with starting Henry Ruggs unless you have like Brian Edwards on your team, maybe Emmanuel Sanders, maybe Traquan Smith to use in his place and you're comfortable doing so. I believe in Brian Edwards in the long run, and I believe in Brian Edwards as a deep sleeper in this game if Henry Ruggs isn't able to play, but we can't be starting him right now until we see production. Again, the Saints do have good outside corners. Again, I think the issue is that Carr is a better real-life quarterback than in fantasy football. His playing style is more of a game manager-esque, predicated on limiting mistakes despite his big arm. So his pass catchers in fantasy are just not are just really going to kind of struggle to post big numbers consistently. Edwards is more of he's a kind of a borderline drop in 12 team leagues. I, I can I can go either way with that. He's definitely a hold in 14 teamers. However, Okay, let's end the show with some streaming options like kickers and defenses. I'm going to list my top 12 kickers and defenses like I do every week. If you have a defense and kicker that is not on this list, I am indirectly advising you to cut whoever you do have a kicker and defense and add somebody on this list, assuming you're in a 12-team format because I'm listing my top 12 kickers and my top 12 defenses this week. Uh, I'll start with the kickers. Justin Tucker, Harrison Butt kicker, obviously. Greg the Leg Zerline is my number three kicker this week. Robbie Gould, Will Lutz. I'm keeping him. I'm moving him down a little to kicker five this week uh, because of the lack of Michael Thomas, but I am keeping, keeping him as a top five kicker option. Mason Crosby, number six against Detroit. Matt Prater, also in that game against the Packers. Matt Prater, I don't normally start like starting kickers that are projected to lose. But Matt Prater has been such a steady fantasy kicker for like two years now. He's got a huge leg and he's playing indoors at home and that could be a high scoring game. So I like Matt Prater as my kicker seven this week. Young Hoku against the Dallas Cowboys, aka the best onside kicker the world has ever seen. Zane Gonzalez against uh, Cardinals kicker against the Washington football team. Jason Myers, kicker for Seattle against New England. I don't think you should let the New England matchup dissuade you, even though they might lose. You could see New England pulling out that game. Uh, by the way, I heard on the Fantasy Footballers podcast that this is the first game in like 64 straight games for the New England Patriots that they are not a favorite. So they've been favored in 64 straight games, including playoffs. And that's an NFL record, by the way, of course. And they are not favored in this game against Seattle's favored by, I think, four. But... I'm okay with using Jason Myers, even though New England might win with Bill Belichick and company, because I think Seattle, they just scored a ton of touchdowns last week. Some of those might turn into field goals. So he, Jason Myers, my kicker 10 this week. I think if he's in free agency, which he is in a lot of leagues, and you don't have one of the kickers I've listed so far, you should go pick up Jason Myers and start him. So uh, sleeper kickers, 11 and 12. I'm going with Ryan Suckup against, that's Tampa Bay kicker against Carolina Panthers. There should be plenty of scoring opportunities there, although Suckup did miss a kick last week. And then Tyler Bass, rookie kicker. He missed two field goals last week, but he still had a decent eight-point game 
uh, against the New York Jets last week. It's the same strategy here. He's not a very good kicker in real life, but he is playing against the Miami Dolphins. The Bills should be able to score points on them, so he is my sleeper kicker. I'm pretty sure Suckup and Bass will be available, and probably uh, Myers will be available if I haven't mentioned two kickers yet, so I would recommend streaming them. Uh, defensively, uh, we're going to start with the Buffalo Bills. They are missing two linebackers. They're starting linebackers, so I expect a little worse of a performance as than we saw in Week 1 against the Jets, against Miami. Uh, however, it is still Miami, so I'm comfortable playing the Bills as my top unit. The Pittsburgh Steelers are next. The Baltimore Ravens are after that. The 49ers, they are missing several starters, including cornerback Richard Sherman, but they are playing the Jets, so you got to start them there. Kansas City Chiefs are my Number five defense this week. They play the Los Angeles Chargers, so that is solely matchup based. And also, the Chiefs defense looked pretty good in week one. I would say not great, but good. Good enough. But again, this is mainly matchup based against Tarod Taylor and the Chargers. So yeah, definitely want to be starting the Chiefs this week. Chicago Bears are my number six defense this week. They are playing the New York Giants. Number seven is the Tennessee Titans. They're facing the Jacksonville Jaguars. Number eight is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They are facing the Carolina Panthers. Carolina has a pretty good offense, so I'm a little worried about that one. It might be. I could see that game being a shootout, honestly. But I do think that Tampa Bay is going to win by at least a score in this game. So I'm hoping the positive game script late helps the Bucs get some turnovers, get some turnovers and sacks, even if they allow uh, a lot of points to the Panthers' offense. Number nine, I'm going to go with the New Orleans Saints against the Vegas Raiders. I think this game will hit the under of 50 points. It's one of the highest projected scoring games according to Vegas. I disagree. I, I would I would bet the under on that game. And I just think the Saints, honestly, it's less you know of a thing against the Raiders. It's more of a thing against, I just think the Saints are just a really good defense this year, honestly. I mean, I'm not trying to be biased, but they just looked pretty stacked on paper. And I also think they match up well with the Raiders, who are a run-first team, and the Saints' strength is run defense. The Seahawks are my number 10 defense. They are playing the New England Patriots. I'm a little worried about that, but when you get this low, you know it's tough to make an argument for any of these defenses. I'm going to go with the Seahawks. I think they're going to beat New England, and I think that if they can stop Cam Newton, easier said than done when he's healthy, but if they can stop Cam Newton, I don't think the Patriots have much else to offer offensively. So I'm going to go with the Seahawks as my defense 10. I'm okay with streaming them. They, they probably will be in free agency if you want. If you haven't heard one yet who is in free agency. And lastly, sleeper defenses, like if you're desperate, you can make an argument that the Rams-Eagles matchup will probably be filled with sacks and turnovers because you have two quarterbacks with or Jared Goff, who struggles under pressure, and you have Carson Wentz, who's playing with a banged-up offensive line, and both teams might struggle to run the football in that game. And also, the Cardinals in Washington football team could be an option. I think I'd rather use the Cardinals because I think they're going to win that game. But we saw how well Washington played in Week 1, so you can make the argument there, too. But yeah, I would prefer the Seahawks probably against New England, and the Saints, and the Bucks, and the Titans, the Bears, the Chiefs, over all of those Def, uh, of, over to all those defense I just mentioned, and one of those might be in free agency. So check that out. Okay, I think we are done with week two. I'm not tired. All right, that'll conclude today's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please do me a solid. Hit the subscribe button. Give a positive rating or review. I really appreciate that kind of stuff. Good luck in week two. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. See ya.